the Disciple Makers Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Stovall. Thanks so much for listening in today. This is the fourth installment of the series we've been working through about disciple-making movements, or as I like to call them, DMMs. This episode is hosted by Ken Shackelford. If this is your first time listening to a podcast of ours, I encourage you to go back to at least episode 24 of this season to listen to the intro to disciple-making movements before going any further on this series. Ken is interviewing Roy Moran, who he introduces at the very top of the episode, and this show aired inside Classroom 3 of our Discipleship.org Collective. And if you haven't already, please go check out what that is, because you may be asking, inside a classroom, what's that about? Go to Discipleship.org slash collective and sign up for a free account and find out for yourself. All right, guys, let's dive into this conversation. Hey, welcome everyone. I'm glad to have you here for what is the fourth in a series of seven discussions we are having that are focused on this topic. What can the church, specifically the North American church, learn from these amazing disciple-making movements that are happening around the world? And though this interview today uh, with Roy Moran is pre-recorded, I and others are here live with you. So for those of you watching this live, feel free to have a conversation in the uh, collective chat room during this. If you have questions, we'll be happy to engage with you in that. And uh, I'd like for you to contemplate this question as you listen to this interview. What does it mean to value obedience over just knowledge? So without further delay, let's, uh, let's jump into this interview. Hey, I'm thrilled today to have my friend Roy Moran with me, and and um, he, as you can see, he's uh, he's got some Baylor connections, so he's still celebrating. Which I, as uh, as a Arkansas Razorbacks fan, you know, I'll, I'll have to just grin and endure it. Uh, <laughs> they beat us in the Sweet 16 this year, but we played them good, so that's good. But it's uh, great to have Roy. Roy's. Uh, lead pastor of Shoal Creek Community Church in North Kansas City area, or as he calls himself, the what, Chief Scout and Trailblazer, is that? Yeah. Trailbuster, yeah, like that. that's what it is. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah anyway, he's he's also the author of uh, this book, Spent Matches, Igniting Signal Fires for the Spiritually Dissatisfied, which I would highly recommend for anyone. Uh, I think any of you that are already watching this podcast are already interested in the things that he is dealing with in this um, and and kind of uh, thinking about disciple making movements happening here in our culture um, it really deals with that well you also have a leadership role um, with the organization new generations yeah and new generations probably connected to more disciple making movements around the world than just about any other organization I know of. Would you yeah. agree with that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, we're, uh, what, what, we're, what's your role with them? Well, I'm the chairman of the board. Um, okay. but, but I also serve on the uh, operational side and handling the, the North American region. Okay. So a couple of years ago, the, the international guys really felt like there were so many people coming at them from North America. We needed someone in North America to, to yeah be a traffic cop for that kind right. of stuff so, because yeah. it is definitely all over the place but mm -hmm. um but they are, there's so much uh interest in in all of that here too yeah. so yeah and uh god seems to have you connected with 
uh, a lot of great things. I know you have a connection with the Beyond organization as well. Um, and um, I, I mentioned that because uh, I just I just finished um, uh, interviewing Justin Long for this mm. series. Yeah. And good friend, yeah. He's a good guy to, to, to get with when you want to dig into what a disciple making movement is and, and the numbers and all of that. So, oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah. Um, I, I was privileged just to have a little bit of time with you when we lived in the Kansas City area after we returned mm-hmm. from Albania and kind of going through all that reentry stuff. But we were blessed to work with. Um, the the U.S. Um, base for all nations, and at mm-hmm. that time also, just living in that area, um, it was it was neat to see in lots of different streams people who were really getting serious about making disciples. So, mm-hmm. Roy, you and I and others got together and and um, kind of were uh, kicked off something called Disciple KC, just trying to network mm-hmm. the like-minded people together. Yeah. And that was a lot of fun. Um, And what's what's happening in the Kansas City area with with those kinds of things? Well, it's still going, man. We you know, you you, kind of teased us here. You, you know, came in and then got involved (laughs) and all of a sudden you were gone. And it's like, oh, no. Uh, So I'm just privileged to be back here and, and connecting with you. Uh, again, always enjoyed the time together, but uh, yeah, disciple KC still blowing, going. Um, we have a a number of different partners, um, Mm -hmm. since you were here, uh, something's called Casey underground has started sort of a, um, a a collection of micro churches that are committed to a DMM strategy, um, in the city. So uh, that's been collecting a whole lot of people who, who really want to pursue the, the idea of the gospel uh, happening at the mm-hmm. disciple making level, not at the evangelism yeah. level. And, and uh, so they, they're doing really well and they've become a part of it. You know, Corey Osmond and um, mm-hmm. Corey, um, you know, he and I spent a lot of time together and, and Corey has become a part of that leadership team with Rob Wagner and Brian right. Johnson and a couple awesome. other folks, you know, so they're, they're doing really good um, with that. Uh, you know, we meet on uh, Monday mornings to pray um, together uh, for the city. We meet on Tuesday mornings. Uh, we've got a separate group that's just focused on the nations in Kansas City. So, Which there are a lot of. Yeah, yeah. So we, we've got a, a, folk, a group of folks that are building a rhythm for planting the gospel in a disciple-making way uh, amongst the nations in Kansas City. Um, so, yeah, it's, uh, it, yeah. it's continued to, to really bubble over and, and uh, spread around. Yeah, so exciting to me. And, and I, I, have a, I, have a, I have this inkling, this feeling that th- these types of things are happening in a lot of the big cities mm-hmm. around this country. And mm-hmm. uh, that, that's really exciting. And um, so before we, we dive into to uh, kind of the subject of this uh, webinar series, which is for those of you maybe that have just popped on and haven't uh, heard the ones leading up to this, we're basically trying to learn from the disciple-making movements that are happening around the world, and they are amazing. If you don't know about them, uh, please please dive in and check them out. There's lots of resources on discipleship.org as well as other places read something like Miraculous Movements um, 
or a, a book like that to kind of get your feet wet. But um, we want uh, it historically. We've like we've looked at the U.S. as being something where we're going and kind of blessing the world, but now the world can bless us because there are some movements happening. We have a lot to learn from that. Before we get into that with Roy, though, Roy, tell us your story. How did someone make the journey all the way from Dallas Theological Seminary to Willow Creek style um, seeker-oriented Sunday services to talking about? disciple making movements and using phrases like spiritual terrorists and that kind of thing. So how did that journey happen? Well, um, you know, it, it really starts out of a kind of a, a heart for uh, the father's heart in a sense that, that, uh, you know, what, what does God want most? He wants a family and, um, and that family, you know, deserted him in the garden and, and uh, he tried to build it again through Israel and, and that that didn't work out too well. And so when Jesus came, you know, to really uh, sort of cement things, that that heart has always been in me to to, to seek the lost and and to be able to help God uh, join partner with Him in in finding His His not yet brothers and sisters, or my not yet brothers and sisters, and put them you know bring them into the family. So it's, that it's was amazing. A, it's amazing how that heart can send you on a journey that yeah. you don't <laughs> expect. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. You know, love does amazing things, and uh, so anyway, I, you know that whole journey is 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 really uh, pieced together by that scarlet thread. And uh, we found ourselves at Shoal Creek, uh, as you mentioned, uh, doing a will style uh, service on Sundays. Uh, no musical worship on Sundays. Um, we didn't collect people from other churches that were mad or angry because they didn't play the right. Um, you know, mix of musical worship that they liked. They just didn't find any at Show Creek. And they moved on. So we, <laughs> we 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 grew on the basis of of lost people. And and uh, as we found ourselves growing, uh, we God had blessed us with a uh, piece of property and a building. And we disco- discovered as we looked at our growth patterns that we were going to grow out of that pretty quickly. And we didn't think our style of ministry would uh, really uh, fit. Uh, capital campaigns that have to raise money and build buildings and all that kind of stuff. So we just said, we need to find a scalable model of ministry. And so we just started looking, you know, what, what, what could allow us to stay in this building and and make it a training center, you know, not a place that collects people and, and allow us to continue to fulfill the great commission. And and when you say scalable, you're talking about um, not just uh, have, having a movable wall or something you're talking about how can we have 200 300,000 people uh being reached in this area yes this is where the story gets really weird um you know in the sense that uh we were praying for 300,000 people uh we we drew put a pin in the map drew 30 minutes around and said there's 300,000 people in that circle and let's, let's pray that god would make it hard for them to go to hell because of us and as we as we continued to figure that out and pray, you know, all of a sudden in the middle of this now, you know, one, one key factor here that you mentioned early on, you know, how does a Dallas seminary graduate um, get to (laughs) blah, blah, blah. Well, uh, in the middle of this, I had a dream. Um, And uh, for those that understand the theological landscape, uh, Dallas seminary and dreams don't exactly belong in the same category. (laughs) Uh, And so, 
that dream uh, was a dream that all 300,000 people decided to come to Shoal Creek on a Sunday morning. And so the strategy that we were using to pursue the Great Commission was successful in getting them to start coming. But unfortunately, the strategy wasn't successful in its completion because all 300,000 people couldn't get there on a I, Sunday morning. I, I remember, uh, I think you I think you wrote about it in Spent Matches, or I've yeah. heard you talking about it, but yeah. how that dream was so sweet at the beginning because you saw people from so many different backgrounds, you know, uh, shift workers getting off uh, their night shift and, mm-hmm. uh, um, you know, people of ill repute, you know, showing up yeah. and yeah. getting ready to go. And it was a sweet dream at yeah. the beginning, but it became a nightmare, right? Yeah, it did because the infrastructure that, that we have in our city doesn't support 300,000 people coming to the same place at one time, you know, yeah. on, a, on a particular day. And so what, what started really sweet turned into tragedy because just the, the infrastructure wouldn't support them getting there. So they turn around and go home. So they start with, you know, a real impetus to connect with God and, and the strategy itself got in the way. Uh, it didn't allow them, you know, to really complete that. And, and that was why the dream turned to a nightmare. And, and it was that dream um, that God was using along with uh, reading the book by um, uh, uh, Spontaneous Expansion of a Church mm-hmm. and Its Hindrances. Um, yeah. And as I was reading that book, you know, written in the 1900s, old, old book, um, yeah. he, he says something to the effect of if your your strategies and your dreams don't match up, it's probably your strategy that's that's a problem because your dreams are probably more inclined to the heart of God. And right. so that's it great. caused me to, to begin to say, okay, uh, if we are going to pray this prayer and, and mean it, then we're going to have to find a different way to go about the, the Great Commission. And so mm-hmm. that just sent us on a trip, you know, first in the U.S., trying to talk to every, anybody that we could to find that scalable model of ministry that would allow us to see 300,000 people actually come to Jesus. Um, and then uh, as we went out, you know, we, we failed in the U.S., just, just nobody in the U.S. had any kind of scalable model. So I just happened to cross an article by a friend. Uh, I didn't know him at that point. But now he's become a dear friend, Jim Egley, uh, who was taking notes of a Victor John meeting in Nashville with a, a bunch of people uh, who were in, interviewing him about what was going on amongst the Bhushpuri in Northern India. Mm-hmm. Wow. And there were things in that that just lit me on fire, uh, caused me to, to, to start to find all the people I could connected with this. I, I ran into a David Watson through a guy named David Bruderick and, um, you know, began to just uh, have my life turned upside down as, as they began to ex- mm-hmm. expose me to some principles that would disciple people to conversion rather than evangelize them to conversion. And that, that was right. just, you know, bizarre because I've, I've been through all, I'm, I'm qualified in all the typical evangelism training things that you could do out there, you know, and this idea of, of disciple someone, you know, to conversion was uh, really bizarre, but they- How, how would you, me. in a short- uh, paragraph, how would mm-hmm. you just delineate between those two things, disciple yeah. someone to conversion as opposed to evangelize them? Well, I, I would, I grew up in a, in a, um, a, a Christianity that, that 
said that the front porch or the front door was was basically um, accepting Jesus. It's like these facts about the cross. That was the mm-hmm. entryway into you know the, the the life. And unfortunately, not only was the entryway, but it usually was the ending way as well. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, it just get to the cross, and that's it. Right. I got my ticket right. to heaven, and, and that kind of stuff. Um, and so it was. It was about persuasion. It was about helping people understand that God loves you. You're a sinner. That Christ died for you, and you need to receive Him um, and to become His child. Um, nothing wrong with that. And I'm not. Right. I, I wouldn't deny any of those things as being absolutely, fundamentally, eternally true. But um, on the other side, the, I began to realize is that, or, or I began to be uh, coached in, in helping people understand what would it look like to start reading the Bible. Um, as the primary start. And so I read the Bible and respond to it in obedience and and respond Mm -hmm. to it by saying, okay, if this is God speaking, what am I going to do about it? And then encouraging them then to share that with uh, the people that they, they live, learn, work and play with. Um, And so that, that simple process of hearing, obeying and sharing uh, became a a brand new strategy. Uh, You know, we, we call it a discovery group. Now we Mm -hmm. have seven questions that we invite people to the table and say, Hey, let's just, you know, begin to, um, explore who God is. And so through a series of small decisions to obey yeah. God, you know, people a, move into the a, family. A, a relational journey mm-hmm. together. Right. Yeah. Well, so we're, we're definitely going to dive in deeper with that, but getting back to your story. So you were experience, you were hearing stuff about the Bajpuri and Northern India. You were getting messed up by David Watson, things like that. Uh, where did that take you? Well, we, we uh, as a staff, we began to ask ourselves, you know, first I had a, a period of crazy where I, I, I think I'm crazy and this is like, you know, really backing the truck up on my entire education, you know, uh, as you can it's see a, it's a, it's I call it a stripping away. I just felt oh, like yeah. for a long time, God was just stripping yeah. baggage off of me and I, and it was baggage I was wanting to hold on to. I mean, I felt mm-hmm. comfortable with that stuff, right. right? Exactly. Exactly. I mean, it was me, you know, unfortunately, and, and, and it felt like ripping skin off. Our identity. Times. Yeah. 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 And that's, I think that's a good thing. I, I know that there are church leaders, pastors, uh, preachers, ministers watching this and, feeling uncomfortable with some of the ideas they're hearing, um, maybe even wary or, or fearful or, or I don't know, but that's, um, it's, it's not an easy process, but would you agree as far as once you get through that, it, there's a lot of, for me, there was a lot of burden that God took off of me in that process. Yeah, in several different ways. You know, I, I think of it like um, my father was in the Air Force, so I have a real affection for aviation stuff. And um, watching uh, the sound barrier be broken, you know, in an airplane, there's this moment uh, as you're approaching that 600 mile uh, an hour deal that um, that it the, the shaking that takes place in the aircraft and it feels like, it, especially before they learn to to get the airframe, you know, really tuned. Those early uh, attempts, it, it shook really violently, and, and several people lost their lives. More than several, a bunch of people lost their lives trying to do that. It feels like that moment, you know, where mm-hmm. you're trying to go through the sound barrier, you're shaking violently, you know, and then on the other side, there's a slipstream, 
and it's just like, and it gets really quiet and calm. And, and that, that's what it, it was for me. And, and there are numerous ways of, of looking at it. I'm sitting here in a 115 year old house and uh, that has been completely remodeled and, you know, tearing down uh, the old stuff. Like, you know, there was no wiring in the walls. It was all knob and tube. And, and so we had to wow. strip down and rewire and stuff. And so, you know, there is a deconstruction phase that's very healthy. You know, and you've got to get to some sound footing before you, then you can reconstruct and, and get it back up. And so yeah. that, that's what happened to me in that process is I, I began to reread the Bible, you know, with, with really different eyes and, and understand that some of the methodologies that I had accepted as biblical, um, they, they, and, and those methodologies worked. I mean, they saw people come to faith, um, but, but they weren't necessarily founded in the Bible. Um, you know, they weren't, they weren't commanded by Jesus. And so giving them up was not a matter of, of giving up orthodoxy. And so I had, to, I had to really, what a lot of people do is our, our orthopraxy and our orthodoxy are sort of um, it, it twisted together. Yeah. And, yeah. and we don't realize that our methodologies, you know, aren't necessarily our theology. Right. And so we, we can... We and we often we often put uh, those methods up on pedestals where only Jesus belongs, right? Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. uh, we don't realize how much we worship them. Yep, yep, exactly, exactly. So that that took a while for us, you know, for me to be able to do that. But you know, it, it allowed us to come through a phase where we looked at what we were doing, and you know, we, we were focused on reaching lost people, and, and we were seeing people, you know, connect with their father and, and enter the family. So. It, what we were doing, we didn't look at as bad. Uh, we, we just looked at it and said, look, if we were going to pray for 300,000 people and we were going to really believe that God could use us to bring them to faith, then this is not the only strategy that we need. Um, this will yeah. do a little bit, but it will not complete the task. And so that yeah. allowed us to kind of move into a hybrid strategy uh, that, that I developed, you know, to look at at this ministry where we, we, we kept the, uh, you know, the attractional, the collectional thing, because, mm -hmm. you know, on a regular basis, even now, and during COVID, we still have plenty of non-believing families who, who, who attend. And it's a great mm -hmm. access to quote persons of peace as we you know were able to rethink yeah. ourselves and understand that term on the other side, it's great access ministry. But if the gospel doesn't move away from us, uh, if, yeah. it, if, if we can't plan it where people live, learn, work, and play and really encourage it to move away from us rather than just solely focus on it moving right. toward us, then we'll never reach those 300,000. So you, you see, and, and uh, a, a lot of the conversation that's coming up is, do you have to, or some of the questions is, when, when they start experiencing, I guess, the simplicity of disciple-making movements, do you have to completely blow up every church structure? Do you have to get rid of everything before you can do this? Is there a both? And what I'm hearing you say is you, you see what you were doing before as a great, uh, almost funneling tool <laughs> to, to train and funnel people into uh, becoming disciple makers, becoming disciples first and becoming mm -hmm. disciple makers almost at the same time, right? Yeah. Yeah, I, I think there's a, um, I wouldn't say there's a synthesis, but, but there is a tension that can be held that, that 
the analogy of the hybrid car works for me in the sense is that it has an electric engine and it has a gas engine in it. The two are radically different technologies um, and it takes different tools and different methodologies to be able to, to work on them. But within that car, because the mission of the, of, of the automobile is just transportation, the two very different strategies work together for the same goal. So if you can get, you know, the, the right mission in place, you know, then, right. then that's, that hybrid strategy can, can work for you because both of them are attempting, you know, to fulfill the great commission. And, and we have, we have the right mission given to us. Um, but I think there, uh, and I know you agree with this, there's some eye opening that needs to be done, which you said, God pretty much gave you a dream to start that process that what we have been doing is not going to um, have the transformative impact on our, on our communities, on our families, on, uh, you know, on, on the loss uh, that, that our mission has basically prompted us to be about, right? Yeah. So, oh, yeah. so there's yeah. some eye opening that needs to yeah. happen. You know, I identify in, in Spent Matches about 10 different mindset shifts that have to take place, um, you know, right off the bat, you know, for, for those of us who um, lead local churches and get evaluated by, you know, leadership teams and that kind of stuff. Um, it, it comes to grips with the fact that uh, whether we really admit it or not, uh, the idea of more butts in the seats is is one of the the major pieces in which we get evaluated is getting more people there and when this mindset shift you know comes you come to realize that i i've got to really release people and be comfortable with having some of my most effective people amongst the loss not attending the major services on sunday morning yeah and our our models are typically we want to hang on to the best and brightest Yep. And we want to keep them close to, to yeah. us. And, yeah. and um, that idea of taking our best and brightest, you know, taking our Pauls and Barnabases and saying, mm -hmm. hey, let's, let's get you guys out of here to do yeah. greater yeah. things is uh, runs against the grain. Yeah. You know, mo most uh, in, in the Western world, you know, we, we've made a, a, quite a few mistakes in terms of bringing uh, what, what's been brought from the east to the to the west, in a sense, and, and, and not really thinking through well, um, because this is about culture issues, and yeah. uh, it's not just about training individuals to do things differently. Now, these local fellowships that we have are, are really they have a particular culture to them, and and I, I see a lot of the problems that happen with people bringing a, you know disciple making movement strategy to a Western church. Is, is that they're trying to impose something that comes out of a radically different culture. And I'm not talking about, you know, foreign culture that's, that's Kenyan or, or Sub-Saharan African. Right. Or, I'm, I'm talking about a different theological culture, you know, mm -hmm. a different way of doing things. Uh, culture, you know, is basically a language and, and, and customs or language and repeated habits and stuff. Right. And so the habits of a, of, a, of a movement are different from the habits of a local church. And so we're in effect changing the center of gravity of a person's uh, spirituality from being, you know, Sunday to Sunday to right. being, you know, every day of the week where they live, learn, work, and play. 
and and ecclesia is not what I come to. Ecclesia is what I do, and yeah. so forming ecclesia, you know, in my my workplace or in my neighborhood or those kind of things is really a foreign concept to people. Hey, let me interrupt for just a second so that you can hear a brief message from our sponsors. Here they are. Wouldn't it be great if someone who knew what they were doing, who actually had proven results, would just share with you exactly how to make disciples? Hi, I'm Doug Burrier, a decision scientist and a real-life disciple maker. This year, I'm discipling six of my neighbors. That's crazy. They don't even go to our church. My friends and I made 1,392 disciples last year. So if you're tired of hearing the same old blog and keynote messages, droning on about the why, the need, and the theory, I want to invite you to hear the simple how-tos that have bunches of churches and hundreds of people making thousands of disciples all around the world, how to recruit, how to get them to love reading the Bible, how to transform them, how to run a meeting, like a real proven agenda, how to make individual disciples in a group setting, how to give people the wonderful, abundant life that God promised them. This is what I found in sustainable discipleship. It's not materials. It's not another program. It's a simple, repeatable set of how-tos. If you're ready for something proven, practical, and different, visit sustainable-discipleship.com. That's sustainable-discipleship.com. The team will be happy to share with you everything God shared with them. All right, let's get back to the episode. Right. Um, and right. It's, it's hard for people to get their hands around. Well, one of the, uh, in, in the, in the blog that I, blog article I wrote to introduce this um, webinar series, I talked about different areas that are uh, barriers to disciple making movements happening specifically within our. Western culture, but even more specifically within our Western evangelical church culture. Um, and one of those I know you, um, you're you pretty passionate about, and it's, it's in, in your book, uh, you address it, but that idea of valuing obedience over just knowledge. And I, I put the just in there because it's not that we're not valuing knowledge. Mm-hmm. But, um, uh, you know, we're not valuing it alone. We, we, mm-hmm. we see the importance of obedience and in your, in those mind shifts that you guys, that you you talk about that, that going from knowledge to obedience is a, is a big cultural shift, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. You know, uh, we both grown up in, in a, a church and that use the terms discipleship, you know, as a, um, a euphemism for the collection of knowledge and the more knowledge you collect, supposedly the more spiritual you would become. And so that metaphor or, or that, that, uh, track that, that we're on, you know, we both know, and we looked around our, at many, many people in life, you know, you can have some really knowledgeable people about the things of the Bible, and sometimes they're the meanest people in the room. Um, they they do not, you know, exhibit the spirit of Jesus. And so, you know, the idea here, you know, is, is simply saying that that knowledge is a means and not an end. And and we've kind of mistaken knowledge as the end rather than the means. And so, we do need facts about the Bible, of Jesus. We need to understand these 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 tidbits of truth in a sense, but uh, the, the end is, is doing what Jesus says, not knowing what Jesus says. Yeah. And so and you, American culture isn't unique to this. I mean, you, you shared how 
um, you shared in your book how uh, this started early on and that shift from the Hebrew culture, the following your rabbi uh, to the Greek culture. Yeah. This this shift is is not new and coming as it's been around a while. No. And we, you know, as the gospel moved from Jerusalem to Athens, you know, we, we see that in that uh, article I mentioned, you know, the great, uh, your big fat Greek mind, uh, <laughs> yeah. go out and Google that as a part two, part, part one, part two, part one's really the more interesting one uh, of it. But, but that, you know, we, we did see the idea of, uh, as the Greeks began to become the pervasive way of thinking in the world, you know, the separation of the material and the immaterial and the idea right. that the soul or those spiritual parts and the physical parts were disconnected. Whereas in the Hebrew world that, that Jesus gives us, he's true saying it's a unified world. And, and the yeah. idea, you know, of knowing something and not doing it just didn't fit in a Hebrew mind. And that's why Jesus says, if you, you know, if you love me, do what I say. You know, I mean, yeah. it's, it's, it's clear, obedience is clear, but yet we have uh, uh, s such a warped view of, of this something we call grace, and we're so fearful of legalism, uh, and, and, and because we're so immature in our understanding there, we, we can't see the allegiance factor you know, in the gospel as not yeah. being works. And, and so, and we've got some great guys, you know, that, that have been exploring that Scott McKnight, Matthew Bates, and, you know, Tom Wright, all those guys have been helping us understand that, that there is an allegiance factor in this, you know, gospel. That Absolutely. Jesus, yeah. Yeah. I'm and changing, you know, me being King to Jesus being King. Right. Yeah. And, and I, one of, uh, one of the quotes I wrote down in my notes was uh, the God of the Bible is meant to be related to and obeyed. I think if you're a knowledge-based teacher, you can, you can do that just fine without getting into the messiness of relationships. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But if you, if you're really focusing on obedience and walking this out together, you can't really do that without the obviously being relational with God, but, really relational with others mm -hmm. yeah well you know i think that the 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 profound narrative that that controls things is is what drives us you know our metaphors basically you know the meta narrative that story mm -hmm. that's in our head mm -hmm. so uh the simplest way i think to think about it is like take the word conflict um if if we are in a room full of people 20 people and we do a little survey we've got some electronic devices and we say words and we have them hit positive or negative and and so we say conflict you know my my guess is is that you know at least half if not three quarters if not all of the people are going to hit negative when they hear the word conflict right. and then if you back the truck up a little bit and you ask yourself okay what what are these word pictures? What are these uh, images that are behind the word conflict? And most of them, when you think about it, are relate to warlike type, type stuff. Um, all, you know, if you and I are in conflict, what, what's in our minds are these, you know, stand your ground, you know, stay battles. Okay, yeah, the battles and that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And so those, those pictures, those word pictures really do affect our uh, emotional state. Uh, in terms of how we how we react to things, and you know, I think of the of the meta narrative of of understanding that. Uh, take, take for instance, um, uh, if you're looking at a systematic theology, and, and you're looking at okay, and you're in the, the the attributes of God area, and you're asking, okay, what's the core attribute of God? 
You know, what, what is the central core attribute? And, 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 and the reality is, is that, uh, you know, probably two of the most pervasive theological systems uh, that exists, you know, in, in the U.S. Or, or in the world, you know, one would say glory mm-hmm. is, and one would say love. Um, and, and, and I would suggest that they're both wrong. Um, and, and I would suggest that, that, and this, this attribute usually doesn't even appear in most traditional lists, but <laughs> I would suggest that the core attribute is generosity, mm. that the Father, Son, and Spirit, uh, they were givers. Uh, wow. They were giving to one another in their relationship. Mm-hmm. And, and, and because of this motivation to be, to be generous, they create a family that they could invite into this life yeah. that they had, this ultimate yeah. reality of the Trinitarian God that wanted people to experience that. That's great. So Generosity they, seeks to share. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And so they, they gave us this, this uh, you know, they built a family. And, of course, you know, the story is the family deserted. And, right. and then human history is spent with uh, this triune God seeking to create this family. And, yeah. and, and now, once you become a part of the family, you get the grand privilege of continuing the process of building that family, of going out right. and experiencing the, the DNA of your father uh, and his son and spirit, you know, to, to give away what, what right. you've been given. Which, unfortunately, is not the experience of so many of those, those butts in the seat, as you said, you know, mm-hmm. they have not. Now they'll experience some some relationship if it's a healthy church. You know they're going to be doing some community. They're going to have small groups, or they're going to, so they're experiencing that. But the amazing joy of seeing that experience grow with others who have not yet experienced it mm-hmm. is not in the in the typical framework of of uh, the life of a pew warmer, right? No. No, I, I, you know, I think what we've done is we've exchanged growth or we've exchanged multiplication or, or uh, it's just another way of saying generosity mm-hmm. uh, for growth. And, and so yeah. the, the pseudo uh, life of the average Christian, which is the normal mm-hmm. life, the average, mm-hmm. is to grow, is to get yeah. you know, more and more and more, more mature. And, and right. it's disconnected, you know, from, from their father's heart. And as a result, that's why I would call it pseudo. It's like they're collecting facts, yeah. they're collecting knowledge, understanding that may have you know. that they're intaking, they're intaking. I uh, I like the phrase spiritually obese. You know, they're they're getting filled. They're they're like the people on Mars Hill. They're looking for those those new ideas that uh, even based in truth, you know, I'm not talking about going off into mm-hmm. heresies, but even based in truth, they want to find new ways of thinking about those things and just get filled and filled and filled, yeah. but they're not putting it in, into practice. Right. But this culture shift of not just doing knowledge and instead a very intentionally seeking ways to put it into practice, you know, like, like the wise man um, who built his house on a rock, right. Listening to the words of Jesus, putting it into practice uh, that's that's a pretty uh, powerful uh, paradigm shift for the Western church.
I want to take a quick break and tell you about something cool happening over at discipleship.org. It's our discipleship.org collective. It's an online community for disciples and disciple makers. And if you fit in either one of those categories, then the collective is designed just for you. The website itself is super cool because it's basically like stepping into a virtual church building with a welcome center, an auditorium for our main events, and even classrooms. Right now, you can get free access to this collective with all of its webinars, seminars, ebooks, and even disciple making assessments for you personally or for your whole church. And this is a community, so you can also have the opportunity to connect with other disciple makers. And while membership is free, there's also a premium access option, which includes courses, certifications, and online gatherings with other leaders from around the world. So head on over to discipleship.org slash collective and sign up for your free membership today. One of the things you say in your book is uh, another, I guess, mind shift. Um, you say from knowledge to obedience, but you also say from analysis to synthesis. What does that mean? Well, I think we, we spend a lot of time in the details, and, and those details are not necessarily um, obeyable in a sense. You know, for instance, uh, you and I could get into a discussion about the Ordo Salutis, <laughs> and we could argue about whether we're lapsarian or infralapsarian or superlapsarians <laughs> and, 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 and that kind of stuff. And, and theologians and, you know, uh, systematic theologies have that kind of, of, of stuff in them. But, um, and, and we think that we've reached the pinnacle of our spirituality when we can throw those terms around. But the yeah. fact is, is that it doesn't mean anything, you know, yeah. uh, what, what means something is that, that when I walk out of my house, um, on Wednesday morning and I look across the street and I see that my neighbor set his trash can out and overnight that trash can spilled into the street. Um, and what am I going to do about it? You know, am I just yeah. going to think, uh, my dumb neighbor who set their <laughs> trash can on an uneven deal serves him right. He should yeah. have to come out here and clean it up. Or am, am I going to love my neighbor? Because it's, are you going to be generous? <laughs> yeah. Am I going to go over there and, and do what I really don't think I need to do? In a sense, my flesh says, you know, just go about your day. You know, you're, you're already just on time or and this will make you late. And, or am I going to do what Jesus said? I'm going to love my neighbor, you know? Um, and, and that's just a small way of, 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 you know, that kind of thinking has come to understand that my relationship with God, you know, dry, should drive me. But when, when his heart captures my heart to generosity in my world and giving away the life that he's given me. Yeah. And it's a, it's a, instead of just understanding there's a, there's meaning there, it's purposeful. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah. I think uh, one of the there's there's two areas I'd like like for us before this ends to to jump into. One might be a little bit of a rabbit trail. One is often spoken over disciple making movements. The idea that it's um, a mile wide and and you know a foot deep or an inch deep. Um, in other words, they because they see this obedience focus they're thinking well they're not really getting the the theological depth that they need um what do you what do you say to those types of things mm -hmm. well uh, the first uh question i would ask someone is that is that how do they know this you know <laughs> right. because if they've never traveled and been in the midst of a place where the gospel is moving 
um, my, my guess, they've never experienced what I've experienced, and, and that is a depth amongst people who come to faith as obedient followers of Jesus, rather than come to faith accepting Jesus as their Savior. Right. Uh, the the difference is radical, and, and so the the question or the the characterization of a sixteenth mile, I mean, sixty miles wide and sixteenth of an inch deep, is is just totally false. Right. Uh, in, well, in and. Talk about that for a moment. When when did you first experience uh, like hands-on being a disciple-making movement, and what impact did that have on you? Well, you know, um, where I spent the most time is in Eastern Africa, and and sitting amongst um, especially some of the tribal peoples there, and and beginning to watch what's what happens when the gospel takes root. Uh, in this culture that um, prior to this was so demeaning to females. Uh, the use of a female as an object was was just a natural part of their culture. Mm-hmm. And, and watching the gospel uh, embed itself in this culture and watching men uh, raise their awareness of, of these uh, females in their, their family and in their tribes who were image bearers they were made in the image of god and begin you know to stop physically abusing them or sexually abusing them begin to to begin to treat them as as truly you know image bearers uh in in they weren't they they aren't they weren't doing that because someone told them stop doing it they they were doing it because christ was growing in their heart right yeah yeah i mean when they when they began to you know they they began to see that 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 they were made in the image of god you know male and female you know he made them and so that all of a sudden just realized oh my the ground at the foot of the cross is level and and we have a culture that is unlevel and 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 because we're pledging allegiance to this new king um, we, we need to reorient the world that we're living in. Um, that, you know, it's not missionaries come in and tell them to stop being their wives, that kind of stuff. But it's you know, this idea of, of the Bible you know, being lived out in their lives. So you know, 16 miles wide and a 16th inch usually comes because of the use of the term rapid. Uh, the rapid expansion of the gospel, and and when uh, you know David Garrison and and other leaders, uh, you know, have, have talked about this as a rapid movement. You know, people presume that anything that's rapid uh, can't be uh, have it's, depth it's, to it. Right, right. And and I would say that that's true if you're in a knowledge based paradigm. Yeah, it takes Absolutely. time. It takes time to acquire all of those facts. Um, and, and those facts then over time accumulate. But unfortunately, I think, you know, something is true about that, that is true, you know, the Lifeway Ligonier study that shows in evangelical churches that American evangelicalism is 16 miles wide and 16th of an inch. Deep. Yeah, right, right. The, the average yeah. person sitting in a, in a church today, you know, believes one, you know, at least one out of every two people believe one of the traditional 10 heresies that exists in the church. That, may, that makes me think of, um, one of the uh, one of the things I think all of us know is that when when we see someone go on a mission trip and they are they very intentionally what you know they typically you know, go to a different culture they experience a lot of different things but they're also go purposefully so they're they're doing something that's gospel oriented typically even if it's just serving 
And they always come back talking about that one week or those 10 days. They grew more <laughs> in those 10 days than, than in the past few years or something. And, and why is that? Well, they were putting, they were putting their faith into practice very intentionally. And so in these movements, that is, that is normal Christianity, right? And, oh, yeah. and, and so you see that depth drive down deep in a very fast way mm -hmm. uh, because um, they're, they're taking what they're learning and they, they won't know a lapsarianism <laughs> or anything yeah. like that. Yeah. But yeah. what they will know is that Jesus wants them to find a way to show love to their enemy. And mm -hmm. the person that's really bugging them right now. And so they will go out and actually do that. Mm -hmm. And God, the spirit, uh, one, one of the things you say is that there's a partnership with the spirit, right? Mm -hmm. And I, I like to talk about to do this, you really have to trust the spirit mm -hmm. and trust mm -hmm. the spirit can work in people, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we, we have such an inordinate um, confidence in our own ability to communicate uh, <laughs> ideas, and we think that that's going to shape people when, in fact, um, that confidence is just ill-placed. Um, it, uh, this is a spiritual warfare, and, and it is the Spirit of God that is enlivening you know, someone and, and empowering them. Uh, to, to really become an obedient disciple of Jesus. And so yeah, it, it's, um, you know, it, you'll find in this whole world, as you know, Ken, uh, people like myself who come out of a, a the Dallas Seminary type of, of deal where the spirit was was known and discussed and talked about, but, but not necessarily, in our experience, we would have not, had a Trinitarian God necessarily, <laughs> you know, it's God, the father, God, the son and the spirit, you know, and it was, it's kind of like, and it's, it's raising up this idea. And it, it, you know, it's just this idea that there is a genuine spiritual trust that comes as the spirit of God, you know, moves in the lives of another person. And you can see it, you know, it's like, um, uh, when you, you set a table, you know, and uh, I, I think of a discovery group and that whole uh, analogy that Jesus told Peter, he says, feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my sheep, which people usually tend to to uh, abuse that, uh, mm -hmm. to think that that's what happens on on Sunday mornings, that, that, that a uh, so-called so professional gets up and, and feeds the sheep. But you know, what you really do is have an obese Christian, you know. <laughs> you know, sharing with people while they, you know, lightly listen to them. Um, mm -hmm. But th this idea of, of setting a table, you know, for the sheep, letting them eat from the word, you know, and then go out and do what the word yeah. says, you know, right. is really the picture that Jesus has there. And sure. that's the beauty of what happens in that. It's like you're talking about, you know, you, you and I both know that, that you learn something when you try to teach it to someone else. Yeah, uh, right. You really do learn it. You know, so that's why, like Stephen Covey, for instance, at the very end of his book, you know, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, says, "Go teach this to someone." You know, this week. Yeah. You know, and and that that's probably why that book became so pervasive. Is that he sure. pushed people, you know, to do that? And Jesus but, did the same. But we thing. think, yeah, but we think of that teaching as always a a top down uh, mm -hmm. intellectual transfer thing. Uh, mm -hmm. You like to use the 
the term learning designer instead of mm -hmm. teacher? What does that mean? Well, uh, you know, um, again, uh, the, 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 the pictures, the word pictures behind our words, uh, you know, really are controlling. And in the Western world, uh, because, you know, uh, we're content based, we're sort of subject matter expert based, uh, teaching, uh, the presumption is a transfer of, of knowledge. Uh, so I, I have a, a set of facts that I'm going to give to you. And then in our whole educational system is based on, you know, me designing a, a, a test for you to give those facts back to me that you, tells me you know them. Uh, mm -hmm. doesn't tell me you can do them or anything. It just tells me you know them and stuff. But or it, tells, really, it, 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 tells, it tells the teacher or in my experience, I was extremely good at uh, knowing them just long enough <laughs> to take that test and then doing a, a complete dump thereafter right yeah it's like you tell people on your way to the test don't touch me i might leak you know yeah yeah yeah, yeah. but you know the word teacher especially when you find it in in the, the hebrew you know is the idea of, of cause to learn uh if we think about that some of our greatest teachers that we've ever had are the people who cause us to learn not that delivered facts to us. Wow. And, and, you know, you, you, I think about some of the great, you know, men in my life and women who have taught me, they were question askers, not so much content dumpers. Um, they caused me to learn. They caused me to do things with they, the knowledge. They I probably had caused you to ask questions too, maybe mm -hmm. even drive, drive mm -hmm. that, uh, the direction of that learning yeah. by your yeah. questions. Right. Yeah. Exactly. I know in my experience in disciple making movements, that's where so much of the learning happens because they're going out and doing obedience mm -hmm. and they're having these experiences, good and bad. And, you know, they're running up against walls at times. Sometimes they're experiencing some victories, but then they'll they'll come back from that full of questions and will kind of drive that learning that will point them to certain scriptures uh, for those answers. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, there's, there's the, the idea of, um, the gathering demoniac, you know, where Jesus heals this man and, and he wants to get in the boat with Jesus and go across and Jesus says, no, go back <clears throat> to where you came from and tell him what's done to you. You know, I mean, that's the picture we're talking about Right. is there's been a powerful uh, transformation of a life uh, only, you know, attributable to the spirit of God and it, you know, healing this man and sending him back. And instead of, you know, taking him through the, you know, the five fundamentals of the faith or, you know, the, the, whatever, you know, paradigm yeah. you want to use, you know, Jesus sends him back to simply share his experience with people. <clears throat> you follow that trail back to the capitalist where we think he came from, you know, and you see mm -hmm. that there were some amazing things that happened there as yeah. a result of, of this guy. And the, you know, for someone so um, overcome by evil, <laughs> mm -hmm. so set free, mm -hmm. you would think, oh, he's going to be really wounded. We need to shelter him in place for a while. We need to keep the big bad world away from him, right? Mm -hmm. But Jesus obviously had a, a trust in the transforming work to yeah. really make him one of the first commissioned <laughs> um, uh, missionaries to go out yeah. and yeah. i think it worked you you know later in the gospel you see them going back and there's crowds waiting uh you know we don't know that that's from him but it certainly could have been but uh, yeah. 
yeah, that's that that trust uh, is so powerful. If you if you follow Jesus' model, you, you know you look at him sending out the twelve in Luke nine and the the seventy and Luke ten, and first you know laying on them pretty impossible expectations, some things they can only do through the power of God, right? But then you look, read the rest of the chapter nine in between those two, and you see just how messed up they were in their thinking. And but he really trusts in them, and he trusts in us, and he he wants you to trust Jesus with others. I think. Oh yeah, I mean you see that at the Great Commission, you know. And I always memorized, you know, growing up Matthew twenty eight nineteen and twenty. Um, but if you go back to sixteen, where it says, you know. They showed up where Jesus told them to. So we got obedience going here. But we have obedience in two different crowds. One, it says some worship when Jesus showed up and some doubted when Jesus showed Mm -hmm. up. And so we didn't really, you know, crank the the time (laughs) chain back and say, okay, we, you know, doubters, worshipers keep going here. You know, sing sing 17 more verses of some song while I sit over here (laughs) and help these doubters get their act together. Right. Yeah. He doesn't even pause. He just delivers the great commission to both worshipers and doubters at the same Mm. time. So, yeah, there's a, that's a, that's a different way of looking at things than I grew up with. You know, there was certain, a sense of, I, I wanted, you know, one of those mindset shifts was to trust the qualified. So I had to figure out sure. where where do they get qualified, and then mm-hmm. I can release them once right. they're qualified. <laughs> and you know, Jesus just released the willing. Yeah, and that's, Those that's willing, the, the willing to obey, mm-hmm. right? Exactly, the willing exactly. to obey. Yeah. Well, one uh, one other thing, and this was the rabbit trail I was talking about, uh, but that in your book it really got me thinking uh, because I'm very passionate about unity in the body of Christ and the power of that. You know, when Jesus prayed for his uh, followers to be one in John 17, it was, you see this reason for that prayer, and that's so that the world will know, right? And that's our heart. When we connect with Jesus' heart, we want the world to know him. Mm-hmm. And and so God's done a, a lot of work in my life to to build that passion for unity. You, you gave me kind of a different way of seeing how unity in Christ is possible through obedience because in the, in the Greek culture, they're always seeking that unifying principle, which is elusive and can never seem to be <laughs> grasped. Mm-hmm. But in Hebrew culture, things could be held in tension as you go out working together in obedience, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, uh, that that was really powerful to me. Explain that a little bit. Well, I, I think it's a difference between you know unity and uniformity. You know, in gotcha. a sense, is that we we tend to think of of unity as we all think the same, we we act the same, we believe the same. You know, we're, we're, we have absolutely uh, no sense of disagreement, or it's like the word consensus. You know, you try to get people in a consensus. And you can get eight people on a board to vote the same way, and you call that consensus. But I guarantee you that every one of them probably has about twenty percent doubt on what they just voted in, you know, and stuff. So sure. there's we're, we're we're in a sense being inauthentic to one another in that sense. So it's it's about you know it, it's really a, a not about uniformity. Um, you, yeah. you know, unity is found in diversity, in that sense. Is that you know Jesus 
uh, is, is the one who who gives us you know apostles, prophets, evangelists, you know shepherds, teachers. Right. Uh, right. Is the idea of the the whole mixture of of, of gifts and stuff. Uh, God created male and female. You know, there's there's all this diversity that exists, you know, in a sense. And so learning to appreciate that diversity and understanding that, you know, I, I, we, we both have allegiance to a king, but <clears throat> we might think um, different about the way you baptize. Right. And, and that's, you know, that's, I'm fine with that. You know, you baptize the way you want to baptize. I'll baptize the way I want to baptize. We're going to baptize because that's obedience to yeah, a clear yeah, command, yeah, but it yeah. may look different or, or yeah. you might think about it differently. Right. Yeah. yeah but, and, and um, I have, I have to hold my uh, understanding of baptism loosely simply because Jesus didn't say baptize this way. Right. You know, he, right. he, 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 he said, look, identify, you know, that's the word baptism, you know, yeah. identify them. How do you yeah. publicly identify someone, you know, with uh, a new king in their life? That, sure. That's what we're talking about. Right. You know, you define it one way, I'll define another, but, but that's okay. You know, that, right. that we don't one of the, the one of the things that I get so excited about when I when I uh, ex have seen and experienced these disciple making movements is that they're not holding uh, any banners that uh, that divide them from anyone else following Jesus. You just you just see them following Jesus. You know, there's there's um, it just seems that putting it into practice seems to draw us around the king right yeah, yeah. and and the small the small stuff the little academic fine points that often drive division kind of fall by the wayside it's not that the, those are become unimportant but uh there's something more important than that's to to walk with the king mm -hmm. yeah yeah there's there's a a sense in which you know we we, we come to realize that you and I uh, are, are practicing an unbranded type of Christianity. Um, we have grown up in a branded type of Christianity, you know, whether it's the you know, restoration movement or dispensationalism or, you know, a covenant theology or, you know, a liturgical world of right, you know, right. Presbyterians or Methodists or, you know, that, that whole branded world is one thing. But in these movements, what you see is kind of an unbranded style of Christianity that says, look, we're going to take these human uh, imposed filters, these theological frameworks, and we're going to keep them away from from this. And we're going to allow this gospel to move unfettered, uh, lightweight you know, low maintenance type thing yes. to, to yeah. move unfettered because, you know, it's unbranded yeah. um, and, and yeah. we're not trying to impose these human right. developed type systems on people. And I think that's one of, one of the reasons for just that we're seeing God's anointing on it, because I think he's looking for people who put one brand up, that's Jesus. <laughs> and, and that's where he wants to pour his blessings out on. Mm -hmm. um, so, well, Roy, we're about out of time. Uh, I sure have, I would love to go much longer with you because I, I so enjoy uh, just hearing your take on, on things. And uh, I appreciate you spending time with us in this. And um, I want to point, uh, point folks to some of, um, the resources I know that you're connected with that are available. First of all, you've got a, w a website after your name, right? Roy yeah, RoyMoran.com. RoyMoran.com. I'm sure you've got resources in there, probably some 
blog articles, things like yep. that. Yep, there's lots of stuff there. Um, another place, disciplemakingmovements.com is just a general site. Um, sure. If you want to connect with New Generations, you can go to newgenerations.us or .ca okay. if you're in okay. Canada. Um, that's our North I, I really I also want to recommend the uh, podcast called that's available at mm -hmm. that website called Movement Conversations, uh, and uh, really really love the conversations you're having with lots of great people. Yeah. Um, and um, yeah, anything anything else on on, on th that list of resources? Did no, cover that's it. it. That, that, that'll, okay. that'll that'll get them enough. Yes, absolutely. There's and 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 there are so many great uh, resources. Obviously, discipleship.org um, is continually yeah. uh, pointing people towards avenues to to get some good training and mm -hmm. to uh, get serious and intentional about developing uh, a disciple making culture within their church if they're church yeah. leaders or just within their life <laughs> if they're not and. Um, that's that's really where it happens. Exactly. Great. Well, that's awesome. Thank you so much, Roy. And um, I uh, I just really appreciate you giving us some of your time. Well, man, I I appreciate uh, you know the whole discipleship.org family and and uh, the stuff you know that I've been involved with with Bobby and stuff. It's just been it's it's really good stuff. So keep it up. Yeah. All right. Well, blessings. Well, it, it was indeed a blessing to spend some time with my friend Roy, and I pray that you were blessed as well. And uh, if you've not had the chance to watch or listen to the earlier episodes of this series, you can go to the collective within discipleship.org, and all the interviews in this series are in classroom number three. And of course, you can check the other classrooms for other great content. Next week, uh, I'm blessed to have Curtis Sargent with me. Um, he was a part of disciple-making movements in Asia and is connected to training up uh, disciple-making leaders in countries uh, all around the world, and I mean all around the world, uh, including here in North America. And we're going to be discussing, re uh, uh, talking about real, relevant, transformative communities. Uh, disciple-making movements are all about relationships and and loving, grace-filled accountability. Um, and getting this right is very countercultural, including our, our Western church culture, but it is crucial for multiplying movements to happen. So thank you for being with us, and I hope you will in, um, join us next week. God bless you. Thanks so much for listening to this episode. I hope that y'all enjoyed it. And I want to remind you, November 4th and 5th of 2021, we're hosting another Nashville Disciple Making Forum here in Nashville, Tennessee. So mark your calendars and go to discipleship.org and purchase your tickets today. All right, have a great day. I'll see y'all in the next episode. Oh.